You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. In addition to our regular weekly podcast, we also have the privilege of interviewing experts from around the world to further our understanding of how to live mindfully. Ora Nadrich, who describes mindfulness as a superpower, is founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Thinking and author of Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity, named in the 100 Best Mindfulness Books of All Time by Book Authority. She is a certified life coach and mindfulness teacher specializing in transformational thinking, self-discovery, and mentoring new coaches as they develop their careers. Her work has been featured in Women's Health Magazine, Reader's Digest, Conscious Lifestyle Magazine, Fast Company, Success Magazine, Spirituality and Health, NBC News, and many more. Her new book, Mindfulness and Mysticism, Connecting Present Moment Awareness with Higher States of Consciousness, is available now. Welcome, Aura. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. Perhaps we could just start with what prompted you to write this book? Well, you know, my, my books are mindfulness-based, and my last book, Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity, was a book really where I took the whole subject of mindfulness, and I coupled it with the authentic self. And that type of coupling really resonated for people. Do you know, I mean, I, I've written so many articles on mindfulness just by itself, and you can go on for days just talking about that. But I think that when you put it together with something that really does apply to our day in and day out lives, people really can relate to not only understanding what mindfulness is, but how to apply it in the areas like something like the authentic self. Writing Mindfulness and Mysticism, which really called to me to write it, I took a deep dive into the whole area of mysticism, which I feel is unknown to a lot of people. And yet it's a vast world of, I think, fascinating and interesting ideas, if you will, 
that I felt really compelled to explore and also couple mindfulness with what is mysticism in the 21st century, because it seems rather archaic or unknown to a lot of people or known only in religious contexts. And for anybody that reads the book would understand how I took it into a much wider, broader area of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads to the next thing we should probably cover for our listeners, because this is a little bit outside the realm of what we normally cover on this podcast. So could you define or describe higher consciousness and specifically mysticism and why they are important in our lives today? Well, let's take mindfulness, which is the practice of being present. And it really is an invaluable practice that we all can utilize. And it's also a quality that is inherent in all of us. So what does that really mean? It means that we all have the ability to be more present. And when we're more present, we're more aware. And when we're more aware, things like our senses are more heightened. And when you think of awareness, to me, it really connotes what am I looking at and what am I seeing? You know, there's a great quote that I have in Mindfulness and Mysticism by Thoreau. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. So, you know, for example, two people could be looking at a painting and one person can notice many more details than somebody else. And yet they're looking at the exact same painting. Well, maybe their awareness is just more focused. Maybe their awareness is more heightened, if you will. And what I propose in Mindfulness and Mysticism is that there are different stages of awareness and there's different stages of consciousness, which really is the awareness. And I believe that on the life journey, we can experience much higher levels of awareness, therefore having a much more expansive consciousness, if you will. It's noticing more, it's seeing more, it's being more appreciative of the vastness of what we see and experience daily. And I feel that's important. It's certainly valuable on the life journey. A lot of us get stuck reining in our busy minds or we forget. You know, I loved part of what you wrote about the quote that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, the French philosopher. And for, I don't know, three or four years, I, I actually made a little picture that put, I put in a frame and it sounds crazy, but my bathroom is where I put a lot of reminders because that's the one room I know I'm going to go in. So I had this hanging in there for like three years that said, I'm a divine being having a human experience. And then I redid my bathroom. I took it down. Like, I don't need to be reminded anymore. And yet, yes, I do, because I find I forget. So I really did appreciate that aspect of this, of maybe part of this is understanding that life is bigger than a lot of us assume it is, and that our role in it can be more than you know, maybe how we're living. I guess I'm asking, you know, how would you explain to someone the mystical part, the mysticism that a lot of people don't understand that word because it is a little bit archaic and what that means to us if we are practicing or following a mystic path or a mysticism path. Exactly. Well, I, first of all, so what I say is I want to demystify mysticism. I want to take the sort of the unknown and the mysterious aspect around it and bring it into our daily lives. And what I ask people, I just had an event at my home recently with 60 women here. It was a women's organization. And I said, you know, if you close your eyes and think of a time or an experience in your life that felt really special to you, do you know, that felt like almost like you couldn't put it into words and you felt connected and you felt connected to something that maybe 
you couldn't describe, you know, and I go into that in the book and I say, you know, for some people, they can recall saying, you know, I remember when I was a little girl or a little boy, or I remember at this time in my life when I had this really amazing experience that I felt something that I never felt before. And there was this synchronicity that happened in my life and all things just sort of lined up. It was like some kind of divine alignment, if you will. When I asked that question, a lot of people could recall and they said, wow, I remember an experience that I had. And to me, I feel that's what the mystical experience is like. You know, I cite in the book an experience from primatologist Jane Goodall and also author and Christian mystic Evelyn Underhill. And they were just living their lives. Jane Goodall was working with the animals. And, you know, she suddenly had this divine experience where she just lost herself in the moment. And she describes it so beautifully that she and the chimpanzees and the sounds of the birds and the insects and the sun and everything around her, just everything kind of merged into one, which is another word that's used called oneness, where you don't feel separate from anything. And a lot of people that meditate or choose to meditate is for that reason. They want to feel that connection to something higher, if you will. And you can call it whatever you want because it's personal to everybody. So I would equate the mystical experience to those experiences that you probably could look back on and say, hey, you know what? I did have an experience that felt very otherworldly to me. Yeah, and I think most people have had that experience. You mentioned in the book, they just may not be aware of it. You know, because we write things off or we rationalize or we... I've done it myself where I say, was that a dream? You know, like I start questioning if it was real. So I think probably a lot of people have, and they just didn't recognize it for what it is. Right. And I also want to mention, Teresa, that, you know, the feeling states that we have, which can feel very blissful and, you know, euphoric and even ecstatic, if you will. I bring it into a modern day context to say, like, haven't we felt that feeling where we said, oh my God, that was the best experience of my life. Oh my God, that was the best moment of my life. You know, well, what are you really feeling when you say that? Do you know, it's as if you've been transported into this magical feeling that can feel very divine, that can feel very spiritual, that can feel very magical. You know, so those are the moments that I want people to reflect on to give them a, a sense of what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it definitely does. I also appreciate that you clarify how this connects or doesn't connect, depending on who you are, with religion, because I think that's also where some confusion comes up. Yes. You know, when I really research this deeply, like I've always been very attracted to reading about the mystics or the mystical experience. And the more I went into it, you know, the more I learned that this is an incredible area to explore, which is why I wanted to write this book. But the religious aspect of it seemed to be, especially in the older explanations of mystical experiences that many mystics who were devoutly religious felt it connected to their religion. Do you know that they would go into a very sacred, holy space that their religion brought to them? So whether you're in a place of worship, like a church or a temple or a mosque, what I really propose is, do we just have to be in the, those places of worship to have those divine experiences? Is that where we experience God, if you believe in God or a divine presence, if you will? And I'm basically saying, gee, I don't know if that's necessarily true. We can have a divine experience anywhere. 
it doesn't only have to be in a place of worship. Yeah, I think part of it, which leads to another question I have for you, is really about stillness. I wonder how much of the religious experience with mysticism is because you're sitting still for a while in a church and it's quiet. You know what I mean? So it gives you that space. Yes. You do, you do talk about the difference between meditation and contemplation. And I thought that was a really important point because I think we have a little challenge in our society today with just being still to begin with, but then there are two different practices, right? Right. Two different things that we're doing. So could you describe that for our listeners? Like what is contemplation versus meditation? You know, I mean, as a meditator myself and someone who's taught meditation, and I think is very valuable they're both contemplative practices, if you will. Meditation is really geared more for quieting the mind. You know, when someone goes towards meditating, it's because they really oftentimes want to quiet the mind, you know, the busy thinking mind. It's not really sitting there and asking to receive information. It's, it's if anything, to silence the mind or attempt to quiet the mind. Contemplation is really more of a place of quietude where you really are open to receive information from the divine presence, if you will, whatever that means to you. Maybe you sit quietly because you want to talk to God. Maybe you sit quietly because you want to learn something or know something of more wisdom or knowledge. And so by being contemplative, you're allowing yourself to receive that information. And for me, I don't hear many people talk about contemplation. They don't usually say, oh, today I contemplated. They may say, today I meditated. And what I really invite the reader to do is to come to learn how to appreciate just sitting quietly in contemplation without having to do anything other than just sit quietly. As you say, it's not so easy for people to do. And to be able to receive, you might get some invaluable information or an answer to a very deep, profound question that you have. I found that comment interesting because I spend a lot of time in contemplation, which I'd never, because I don't say I contemplated today. So you're exactly right. So I have my daily meditation, but I probably spend more time each day contemplating. So that's a new verb I have now. I'm contemplating. We'll continue this conversation right after this brief message. I've been doing it too, Teresa. I've been saying contemplating or ruminating, you know, and it's, it's really a wonderful practice to get into. It is. And I find it actually kind of meditative, but it is different. My objective is different. So right. I, I appreciated that distinction. I found one of the chapters really interesting and different and thought it might be of interest to our listeners, which is the connection between mysticism and creativity. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So I really loved exploring that chapter because I wanted to go deeper into what the creative process means. You know, everybody that maybe has experiences of creativity, and I feel that's something that each and every one of us can have, by the way. And for people that say, oh, I'm not creative, you know, there are those people that they really separate themselves from those experiences, which I find interesting and rather limiting to your life experience, because I think each and every one of us can be creative. You know, someone might say to me, well, I'm not going to ever write a book or I'm never going to paint a painting or whatever. Well, you don't know that for sure. If you allow yourself to have the creative experience, it means you're open to allow yourself to imbibe the creative experience. And whether you feel you get it through contemplation or connecting to something that feels sacred, divine, or holy to you, it's really there for you to partake in. 
And when we limit ourselves and say, well, I'm not a creative person, you're not really poised to receive the creative experiences or the inspiration to be creative, if you will. And I also explored the whole notion of writer's block as an author. I always found it fascinating when authors would say that, oh, I'm blocked. Well, something is blocked because I feel that there's a constriction. There's something that's recoiling about the creative process, as opposed to, again, open, to keep yourself open. And there are things that you can say to yourself in the act of creativity. I'm ready to receive inspiration today. You know, there's a lot of mantras or affirmations that one can say to themselves that allows them to perhaps have a mystical experience or go into a reverie or to be able to recall a dream that you had the night before that can inspire your creativity. The bottom line of this really is, is to stay open, which I really talk about a lot, Teresa, in the book about staying open to receive, to be receptive to the divine energies to come through you. And I think right now there's, there's a lot of people that perhaps never thought of themselves as seekers or creative or any of the, a lot of the other descriptions in the book, but they have been contemplating over the past year during all of the chaos and the shutdowns and everything. And that many of them may not know what they're seeking. They just know that maybe something now is missing. They've paid attention because they were still, I still think that's the key to all of it is just stopping long enough to allow both receiving information and to just kind of consider big questions in life or the smaller ones. But I think once you are open to the idea that maybe we don't know everything, that there's more to learn, there's more to discover, there's more to experience, that that is also a major factor, being open. So being still and being open, I think are two things that you know, could lead to a lot of answers or new pathways or new discoveries. Exactly. And it is that whole idea of being open, because even if you don't know what you're looking for, or even if you haven't found what you're looking for, which is not to say that you should impose an expectation on yourself, when we're open, as I said, we're open to receive, and we're open to receive and to experience something that perhaps we haven't experienced before. That's exciting. Yeah. I know I have a lot of listeners that are brand new, even to just mindfulness. I was wondering then if you could share some tips with listeners who have not done this before, have not searched into an area that maybe they're not as comfortable with, or that is unknown to them. Do you have any tips for just how someone could get started? Maybe even with baby steps, but with both the practice of being still, but also of learning to be present so that they can be more open to what's occurring. Well, I think the, you know, a baby step really is to acknowledge that you're ready to try or that you're open to try. Do you know that there isn't that built-in no? Or to maybe even be aware, this is mindfulness, is having the awareness of what we're thinking and feeling. If you have resistance to a new experience, ask yourself, what's that resistance about? Is it fear? Is it the fear of the unknown? Is it the fear of not feeling in control? Is it the discomfort of being in an unfamiliar territory? You know, that's natural for us to maybe be resistant to going to some towards something that's new and unknown to us. But I think that if you're willing to try and you're willing to say, I'm going to try and I'm going to be open, even if I maybe feel a little uncomfortable or I feel a little bit resistant, I'm allowing myself to have that experience, which you should feel really good about yourself if you're even willing to be open to that. So this isn't about being self-critical. This is about being self-supportive. 
in going towards the new experience. So that can start at any time. And for anybody that's new to mindfulness, start today. Do one thing today where it helps you become more present. And some of the ways in which to do that is to put away your devices, ask yourself, am I really present? Am I really here right now? And if I am, am I really here with complete undivided attention? Am I thinking about the past, which has come and gone? Am I anticipating the future, which isn't here yet? There's a study out of Harvard that says our mind wanders almost 50% of the time. Well, where does it usually go? Either we're ruminating or lamenting the past, which is no longer here, or we're anticipating the future again, which isn't here. Where we have the hardest time is being in the present. So we have to make a concerted effort to be more present. So that's a good thing to ask yourself. Am I here? You and I are having this conversation. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. I'm not thinking about what happened to me yesterday. I'm present with you, Teresa, because this is where I want to be. And in order for me to really get the most out of this conversation is to be here 100%. So those are good questions to ask ourselves, whether we're having lunch with a friend or we're talking to our partner or our children. Ask yourself those questions. Am I present? And if I am, how can I be more present in this moment and be really 100% there Or if I'm not 100% present, where am I? And why am I not wanting to be in this moment that I'm in right now? Yeah, exactly. It sounds like such a simple process, right? But it is really hard for our minds, especially these days, to stay put. You know, it is hard. And that's why the mindfulness practice is so valuable. Because the more you practice present moment awareness, which is what the mindfulness practice does, You start to see when you're about to, what I say, slip out of a moment. You know, you're talking to someone and suddenly there goes that thought. Oh, why did I do that? Oh, gosh. Oh, is that meeting tomorrow going to go wrong? Oh, wow. Catch yourself. And again, not critically, just go, oh, there I go. I'm about to go out of the moment. Let me bring myself back into the moment and be present with what I'm doing. The mind is going to always try and pull us out of the moment because we've got very busy minds. You know, the mind is a problem solver and the mind is also a troublemaker. It just wants us to constantly be thinking all sorts of things that sometimes are not in our best interest. So the simple, basic starting point of practicing mindfulness is catch yourself in the moment. And if the mind begins to wander, bring yourself back into the moment. Even if you take a couple of deep breaths in and out, that'll really ground you. And that'll really bring you into present moment awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I also use my body. So the minute I drop something, it's an immediate cue to me. Oh, you're not paying attention. Or if I bang into a doorway, you know what I mean? As I'm going through, I always bring it back to where's your mind. Cause it's not on what you're doing, including walking to the kitchen. It doesn't matter what you're doing or you do that, the stronger your mindfulness skills become. So that's great. Thank you. Yes. Let's go to how people can learn more about you and your work in addition to the book. So do you have a website? I do. It's auranadrich.com. And there's a lot on that website, you know, from articles that I've written and meditations, and it's just chock full of, of a lot. So I would recommend going on my website to learn more. And if you're on social media, you can certainly find me on, you know, all of the social media handles with my name, auranadrich. And that's the best way to find me. Fantastic. And the book is out now, right? 
It is. The book is out. It's uh, very easy to get on Amazon and I'm very excited. I've gotten wonderful reviews on it and it's only been out for a couple of weeks. So it's very, very exciting. And it's going to be out on audio, but it's an ebook as well for those that like to read on ebook. Fantastic. And congratulations. That's wonderful news. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. I think we're going through a time period where people really can take advantage of a lot of information that can make them more aware, that can help them be less stressed, that can help spread calmness in our communities that are struggling. And this was a great book to go through to really get in touch with a little bit more of the more spiritual side of mindfulness, but very practical in our day-to-day lives. So thank you again. Thank you so much. You can find a link to Aura's book, Mindfulness and Mysticism, on our website at worktolivewell.org. Until next time, I encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities. Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing, from washing dishes to work tasks to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access all podcasts and interviews. A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Media Right Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.